co-hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. As the man said, I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join me today. Today's show is going to be a little bit longer than the usual 10 minutes we spend each week. And that's because today we are kicking off our annual outlook. Now, we're doing it in two parts. This week, we'll look at the big picture, the macro, as they say. And then next week, I'll give you some specific ideas to go along with the overall outlook. But before we get rolling here, let me just take a quick second, primarily for the new listeners, and do sort of an introduction of who we are and how we think. This last year here at XML has been fantastic, not just because of the markets. Markets had a sensational year, but for a lot of other reasons, too. One of them being back in February, we merged with a well-known firm in Northern Virginia. Uh, the firm was Laramay or is Laramay and Associates. And Laramay has been around for a very long time and brought a heck of a lot to the table. Of course, together, we remain an independent registered investment advisor. And I think that's a huge advantage. The power of independence goes a long, long way. And let me just take a second to thank our clients who have entrusted their assets to us. We consider that an honor. Now, I'm a value manager, a conservative value manager, which means I can be cheap. And I say that proudly. Nothing wrong with being cheap in the markets. It also means that I'm a bottoms up type manager. Let me explain why I do it this way. If you're a macro, big picture driven investor, you're looking at the world And you're trying to determine where you want to be invested based off of all kinds of numbers like GDP and currency rates and all kinds of things. And when you find a country that you think has good prospects, then you start digging deeper to find the sectors you want to be invested in. And once you think you found a couple of good sectors, then you start looking at the individual companies or maybe a basket of stocks. Then you start to do the company research from there. My point is, is that starting from the top down, you have to make a lot of decisions. And at any point, you could be wrong. And that could take you way off the path that you want to be on. In my opinion, there's a better way. It's the path that value investors take. And I think it's the most common sense, logical way. When you're a value investor, you ask yourself two basic questions. One, is this a good or even a great company? And two, what price am I willing to pay for it? Instead of the other way around where you have to make dozens and dozens of decisions before you even get to the company. And I'm fond of saying I like to buy a dollar for 70 cents. If you bought a great company like, say, Johnson & Johnson when you thought it was inexpensive, a 70 cent dollar, and immediately after you did, the market went down and so did the stock. Now it's trading at 50 cents on the dollar. How mad or angry can you be? You bought a 70 cent dollar. You you, you got a great deal. How would you ever know that the market would be selling them for 50 cents today? You can't know that. But what you do know is that you bought a dollar for 70 cents and a dollar is ultimately worth a dollar. So be value oriented 
and be patient. Patience is a virtue is a virtue that not all of us possess. Investors constantly feel like they need to outperform the market, which honestly I never really understood. Now, to help you with this, I would suggest that you have a good solid financial plan in place. That way, you know what types of returns you need to achieve to get to your goals instead of just chasing after the market. Believe me, chasing after the markets has led to many downfalls. And that's my message today. Have a plan, be value-oriented, and exercise patience. If you do those three things, I think you'll be successful over the long run. So let's get started with the big picture. It's hard to take a look at the future without looking at the past and where we are now. It, and we look at the market and I mean, heck, we've had a, a, a heck of a run. I mean, a heck of a run. I'm talking about the S&P 500 being up over 31% for the year. The Dow up nearly 24% and the NASDAQ, well, the NASDAQ is looking kind of gaudy, being up almost 38%. Incidentally, when I did the outlook last year, I guess that the S&P would finish up around the 3000 mark. I was a bit off. I don't know anyone who called it up over 30%. Well, the economy looks good. Not great, but okay. It's generally accepted that the consumer makes up about 70% of the economy. The consumer seems to be in good shape. The unemployment rate is about three and a half percent. That's the lowest rate in 50 years. If you need a job, well, this is probably the time to get one. When the labor market is tight, wages tend to go up as employers compete for employees. And that's exactly what's been happening. Using the November numbers, because Decembers aren't out yet, but using those numbers, wages grew north of 5% compared to 2018. Think about that for a second. Wages grew at better than 5% and the cost of living or inflation was up about 2.1%. That means the consumer got more liquid last year. That's according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Yeah, the price of milk, butter, bread, iPhones, they all went up 2%. But you made 5% more. So your balance sheet should have improved. So when you see that, it shouldn't be of any surprise that US ha- that, that the U.S. household savings rate is elevated. Americans are saving close to 8%. Disposable income is rising or has been rising. According to BCA, household debt to assets is at the lowest level since 1985. And debt servicing cost only 9.7% of disposable income. That's the lowest in nearly 40 years. That's a lot of numbers and stats, but that's just me telling you the consumer looks to be in pretty darn good shape right now. But as I said, we are, eh, okay. Yeah, the consumer's doing just dandy, but the overall economy is just above stall speed. We're motoring along at around 2%. Certainly the trade wars have taken a bite out of global growth, mainly via China. But I think we've touched bottom here. At least we're probably close to a bottom for now. The Chinese economy is growing at the weakest pace in nearly 30 years, and deflation is starting to take hold there. Well, in response, the Chinese have slashed their reserve requirements. They cut taxes. They started financing more public infrastructure uh, projects. They boosted CapEx. And my guess is, is that it works. 
it gets their economy going again, which in turns helps the emerging markets and the rest of the world. People ask me, am I worried about a recession? And the answer is not yet, not now. Recessions are usually born out of imbalances and tight monetary policy. Last year, last year meaning 2018, sorry, not 2019, but in 2018, the Fed was raising interest rates and they went too far with their last hike. And as we saw, the market revolted in the fourth quarter of 2018 and stocks dropped probably around 20%. Now we have a Fed that's dropped rates over the last year. We went from 3% down to 1.75%, and we're most likely on hold for all of 2020. Fed policy is clearly accommodative. And I say that because the economy isn't strong enough to raise rates at this point. And they tend not to change rates or raise rates going into a presidential election. This is important because I believe interest rates have been the primary driver of stock market returns. Most people aren't going to buy a 1% CD. Rather, they'll assume the extra risk and invest in equities. If rates are going to remain low, that supports higher equity values. The question is, with the markets trading at, or the S&P trading at about 18 times earnings, has it already priced in the effect of low rates? PE or price to earnings ratios aren't always the best or, well, I shouldn't say always, they aren't the best short-term market indicators, but they are very good long-term indicators. So you could continue to see the market continue to melt up, but at some point, there'll be a price to pay. Higher valuations are negative for longer-term returns. Besides interest rates, we need to look at earnings. Analysts have penciled in 9 to 10% earnings growth for 2020, and I think that might be too aggressive. Remember, expectations start out high and are usually lowered over time. So let me try and sum some of this up for you. The consumer is in good shape. I don't see any fear of recession this year. If global growth picks up, and I think it will, inflation may, may become an issue. It's not this year, but if inflation picks up, the Fed will find itself behind the curve and will have to tighten policy. That's when you need to worry about a recession. This year, short-term rates should remain low and should support higher PEs. So it really becomes an earning story once again. And I fear the estimates are too high, which leads us to a precarious situation. All this, and it's an election year. My guess which is about as good as anyone's, is the market will be up between 5 and 7% for the year with plenty of volatility. That comes from growth in earnings and dividends and no change in the multiple. Now, as a value investor, I don't put a whole lot of faith in the big picture because so many things can go right as well as wrong. And as I said earlier, I prefer to look at great businesses when I think they're selling at discounts. Now, with that said, I do think there are pockets of opportunity where you should be looking. In the first place, I'd look, and we'll talk about specific companies next week, but the first place I would look would be healthcare, specifically managed healthcare. This is something I've been talking about for a few months now. These stocks did very poorly for most of this past year with the calls for Medicare for all, 
And that gave us the opportunity to buy some. And luckily, they've come back since then. Now, as a group, HMOs are finally raising prices at the steepest rate that I've seen in the last 15 years. And I think their profit margins are set to expand, partly because they've been able to contain their labor costs. As I said, these stocks have had a nice run up lately and they aren't as oversold like they were, but I still think that they offer a compelling risk reward scenario. Another area I'd look at would be the financials. Remember what banks do. They borrow short, lend long. For example, they take in deposits like selling CDs and they pay 1% and they lend it out through mortgages at say 4%. So they earn that spread of 3%. I mentioned before that I expect yields on the 10-year to rise and the short rates to remain the same. If that happens, then the banks will earn more. And I'm also seeing more demand for credit. The latest Fed Senior Loan Officer Survey showed that demand for loans slingshot higher. And all the while, credit quality remains high. If you think global growth picks up, then demand would pick up. And I would also look at the energy stocks, one of the last year's worst performers. And I'd also like to have some extra international exposure because those stocks are cheaper than our domestic issues. I'm talking about developed countries in particular. I'm kind of neutral on emerging markets. A couple of places I would avoid would be the REITs and the utilities, both of which seem overvalued to me. We'll address specific stocks next week. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. This has been Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.